The demonstration of divine providence in the book of Esther is breathtaking and leaves me wonderstruck. Esther's story teaches us about the Lord's providential timing and placement. An unknown Jewish girl named Esther providentially rose to power at the right time after participating in an ancient beauty pageant. Mordecai recognized this act of divine favor when he said to Esther, And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Behind the scenes, the eternal God of the ages worked all things out according to his perfect timing, protecting the Jewish people from hideous hatred. And he did so without violating human will. Do you recognize the providential hand of God at work in your life? I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. God often does his best work behind the scenes. No fanfare, no marching bands, no obvious miracles. Hello, welcome into Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, thanks so much for tuning in. Well, sometimes God parts the Red Sea or heals a blind man, but more often than not, his approach is more subtle. He is always sovereign, he's always in control but he is not always performing the noticeably miraculous. For one of the greatest stories of God working providentially behind the scenes, stay with us as Ron takes us to the book of Esther. As always, visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, Esther, for such a time, as this. Well, anti-Semitism rears its ugliness in um, about every generation and in places all around the world. A little uh, history on it. Wilhelm Marr is a, is a German journalist who first coined the phrase anti-Semitism in 1879 in reference to hostility toward and discrimination against Jewish people. Now, of course, for us, the most extreme example of Jewish hatred, and, uh, and here's a new word for me this week, Judeophobia, fear of the Jews. The most extreme example of that in our time occurred from 1933 to 1945, while Nazi Germany led the state-sponsored persecution and murder of European Jews. The name Adolf Hitler, we all know, is synonymous with anti-Semitism, with Jewish hatred. But I want to take you back to a time, oh, about 2,500 years ago, where a Persian, Persia then is modern-day Iran, a Persian named Haman had something in common with um, Adolf Hitler, more than just that both of their names started with an H. Haman was a Jew hater. Just understand this. The Iranians have hated the Jews for a very long time, all the way back to the time of Queen Esther. And Haman, as we'll learn, was the Hitler of his time. Haman never got to carry out his murderous intentions against the Jewish people as Hitler did, but his hatred for the Jews was just as real. And we learn about Haman and ancient anti-Semitism 
in the Old Testament book of Esther, uh, there we also see how God's providential hand protected the Jewish people, those Jewish people who remained in Persia, those who did not return to the Holy Land, returned to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra. Now, this is a story about those who, who remained back in the, the land of their Babylonian captivity. Now, Queen Esther is literally the star of this story uh, as we come to this section of the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Uh, Esther's Hebrew name is Hadassah. Uh, we might call her Myrtle if we were using her uh, Hebrew name, but her Persian name is Esther, and it comes from a, a word in the Persian language that literally means star. So Esther, Queen Esther's uh, the star of the story, humanly speaking. Etymology aside, Queen Esther deserves to be the namesake of the book much more than Haman does. Haman is the villain, as we will learn. Uh, the other main characters that we'll learn along the way, uh, King Ahasuerus, Queen Vashti, and uh, Mordecai the Jew. Just keep those names in mind as the story unfolds. There's one other main character in the biblical story that is worth noting, although the author of um, Esther never mentions him by name. Strangely, the book of Esther does not contain the name of God or any mention of God, which uh, throughout church history has made some uh, question even the placement of the book of Esther in the Old Testament canon. Martin Luther was one of them that had nothing to do with Esther. If it doesn't mention God, why is it in the Bible? He said a similar but different thing about the book of James, but uh, th those are just two reasons why, although Martin Luther was a great man in church history, you don't have to listen to everything that he says, especially as it relates to the book of Esther and the book of James. Esther, as you'll come to understand, definitely belongs in the canon of Scripture. But God's name is not mentioned. Some argue that God's non-mention is intentional by the author in order to highlight what we might call divine providence, which speaks of God's invisible activity, his work behind the scenes, we might say. Providence refers to the way God acts sovereignly without violating human will and without interrupting the ordinary ongoing of human affairs. In other words, we might say that uh, God works in a clandestine way. He works uh, behind the scenes more often than not. George Washington and others uh, often use the word providence to describe, um, well, what Washington personally witnessed and experienced while fighting in America's Revolutionary War. Uh, for example, um, after the Battle of um, Mongalia, I believe it's pronounced, or Braddock's defeat took place in the summer of 1775 when uh, uh, Washington was 23 years old, uh, Washington uh, found some bullet holes in his military jacket. <laughs> he wrote about this in a letter to his brother, John Augustine Washington. Uh, this is a matter of history here. Uh, the story circulated, apparently, and the Reverend Samuel Davies of Virginia mentioned the bullet holes in a sermon, crediting divine providence with preserving Washington's life, the Reverend said, for some important service to his country. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? But the word providence was very much on uh, Washington's lips and in his letters as he wrote. The non-mention of God in Esther reminds us that God's work is not as, always as obvious as a miracle. Sometimes we're always looking for God uh, to perform a miracle. That's rare. It's even rare in the pages of Scripture. But when God works 
providentially, when he works behind the scenes, he is no less intentional. And sometimes it takes more faith and certainly vision to see the providential hand of God at work in a less than obvious way than a miracle might produce. And that's what we have in the story of Esther. Esther recalls the story of God's providential protection over the Jews who remained in the land of their captivity. The Jews who did not return to Jerusalem under leadership of Zerubbabel and Ezra, think of them this way, they're, they're kind of a type of worldly Christian who loved their Babylonian ways. I don't want to be too hard on them, but uh, maybe they had legitimate reasons for not returning to Jerusalem and to the Holy Land and, and, and re-identifying as the chosen people of God. But clearly, Esther's story reminds us there were some who maybe grew up in Babylon during the 70 years of captivity and came to, well, to, to, to love the Babylonian culture and their Babylonian ways. Uh, see this group of people as a group of worldly Christians who are going to heaven, they're, they're the chosen people of God, right? But they just kind of like their worldly ways, and even with that, God protects them. He protects them. But if the apostle John had anything to say, uh, 1 John 2 and verse 15 might say to these uh, Jews who love their Babylonian ways, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pretty straightforward words from the apostle John. Now let's talk about the rise of Queen Esther. It's really quite a story. Esther begins, uh, the book does, in the days of Ahasuerus, king of Persia. Remember, after the Babylonian captivity, uh, the, the Persian Empire came and, and took over the Babylonians. Now, at the end of the captivity, those who remain are living in, in Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And um, according to one scholar, Ahasuerus, who was now the king of Persia, <laughs> was a mixture of passionate extremes, which explains his actions in Esther chapter 1 and how he treated his wife, Queen Vashti. Ahasuerus loved a good party. And um, Esther begins in the third year of his reign, where the king was giving a feast that lasted for 180 days. That's six months of a party. This guy really knew how to throw, throw a party. And he threw this party for the sole purpose of showing off his royal wealth. And one day, to spice up the party a little bit, uh, he, he commanded his wife, Queen Vashti, to come and uh, put her crown on and put her beauty on display in front of his drunk friends. The king had had a little bit too much to drink. And by the way, Vashti was, was a looker. <laughs> she was a beautiful woman. And the king decided, oh, I'm going to put her beauty on display. Well, well, Vashti said, no way. No way. She refused. And her refusal enraged the king and raised more than a few eyebrows among the king's officials. Concern grew about the queen's behavior and how she might influence other women uh, to show contempt for those, their husbands. Look at, with it, uh, look, uh, at, at uh, Esther chapter 1 and verse 17 with me. It says, for the queen's behavior, and these are the king's officials who are now concerned about the queen's behavior, uh, her behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. And so with that, and at the suggestion of his advisors, King Ahasuerus deposed Queen Vashti. Out of here. 
She was never allowed in his presence again. Eh, Just the ways of, of this king who, again, was a mixture of passionate extremes. And in one of those extremes, he deposed his own wife and queen. And then King Ahasuerus spent the next four years looking for a new queen. Still ahead, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' Something Good Radio message, Esther, for such a time as this. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option at the top of the homepage, then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. While you're there, visit the Something Good Digital Library. You'll find more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic to find answers to your Bible questions and grow in your Christian faith. Have you ever felt like God granted you favor in a certain situation? Maybe it was on the job or with a loan officer at the bank. That's what God did for Esther. It wasn't an obvious miracle, but it was a miracle nonetheless. Here's Dr. Ron Jones with the rest of today's Something Good radio message. Esther, for such a time as this. And it was during that time that Esther, who was the adopted daughter of Mordecai the Jew, Esther became part of the king's harem because of her natural beauty. Now, the Bible doesn't exaggerate. When it says that a woman was beautiful in form and face, just know that she was a knockout. And that was Queen Esther. Beautiful, beautiful Esther. She and others entered beauty training for one year before they were presented to the king. That was the custom of the time. And Esther quickly gained favor along with seven others, and they rose to the, uh, the best position and the best place in the harem. And when it came time for Esther's presentation to Ahasuerus, look in chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head, and made her queen instead of Vashti. Out with Queen Vashti, four years later, in with Queen Esther. Uh, She's now positioned in unusual proximity to the king for a young Jewish girl like her. To celebrate, the king honored Esther with a feast. He abated taxes for everybody, and then he gave generous gifts out uh, that only a king could do. Again, the, the extremes of such a man. Meanwhile, uh, Mordecai uncovered a plot to assassinate the king. And because of Mordecai's relationship to Queen uh, Esther, he shared his intelligence report with the queen, who then told the king. And after an investigation was done, they found out that the plot was real. And that's when the king executed the two henchmen who devised it. And afterwards, Ahasuerus strengthened his security detail by putting a guy named Haman in charge basically kind of second in charge uh, next to the king. And the king told all of his servants to bow in the presence of Haman. When Haman came to work, when he came to the palace, everybody was to bow down. By the way, Haman is an Old Testament type, not of Christ, but of the Antichrist. Just understand that from a Bible prophecy standpoint. We've been talking about the Christ connections throughout our studies And where do we see a picture of the Christ who is to come? Haman, the hater of the Jews, is an Old Testament type of the Antichrist who is to come. 
in, um, in, in, in Bible prophecy which is yet to be fulfilled. And the Antichrist will be friendly to the Jews in the first half of the tribulation and then will turn on them because at his heart, like Haman, uh, he is a hater of the Jews. Well, in retribution for Mordecai's contempt, and because he was a Jew, read the text carefully, when Haman learned that Mordecai was a Jew who would not bow down to him, Haman devised a plan to destroy all of Mordecai's people, to destroy the Jews who were living throughout the province and the country of Persia. And he did this uh, by using a, a, a pagan practice for um, deciding the right course of action by chance. It was called pure. It was the casting of lots, the rolling of the dice. And he kept casting lots and kept rolling the dice until uh, the lots justified his rage against the Jews and he had an exact date when the Holocaust would take place. And then Haman reported it to the king. Chapter three and verse eight, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. You see how Haman is just scattering seeds of hatred and doubt into the king's heart. And uh, Haman's plot to destroy the Jews pleased the king. And the king gave an edict for all of the Jews in Persia to be destroyed. Haman's Holocaust plan was set in motion by the king. Well, upon learning of the edict to destroy the Jews, Mordecai arrived at the entrance of the king's gate. He came to work where he served the king there. Only to that, that day he came in sackcloth. And he was weeping and lamenting loudly, which was not allowed under Persian law. You don't, you don't come into the king's presence or into the king's service dressed like that, let alone, you know, wailing and moaning and lamenting loudly. Queen Esther learned of Mordecai's public display, and she uh, sent word to him and, and, and said, uh, you got to change your clothes. You, you, you can't come into the king's presence distressed like this. Mordecai refused and sent word back through the messenger urging Esther to persuade the king to rescind the edict and protect the Jewish people. But Esther was reluctant to enter into the king's presence without the king's invitation. Why? Because back then, even if you were the queen, even if you were his wife, you didn't come into the king's presence in the throne room without the king's invitation. That was punishable by death. However, Mordecai pleaded with Esther he said that even she would not escape Haman's holocaust. And then we come to chapter 4 and verse 14 where he says, And who knows, Esther, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Even Mordecai recognized the providential placement of Esther in proximity to the king where she and she alone was in a position to stand in the gap between Haman's holocaust and... Uh, the Jewish people. Esther became persuaded by Mordecai, and she sent word to him to gather the Jews in Susa for prayer and fasting as she prepared to enter the king's presence. And three days later, she did. She stood in the inner court of the king's palace at great personal risk. Until then, uh, she had kept secret the fact that she was a Jew. Mordecai told her to do that. 
he knew of the hostilities in the region. And when she won the beauty contest and became the queen, you know, she did not reveal the fact that she was a Jew. So, so she, she, she was standing in the presence of the king about to foil Haman's plan and reveal the fact that these were her people. And she did this at great risk. But no doubt she breathed a sigh of relief when she stepped into the king's room and, and Ahasuerus held forth his golden scepter as a sign that she was welcome in his presence. Oh, the, the sigh of relief and a sign again of the providential hand of God and his grace and his favor on Queen Esther. Queen Esther knew that uh, the quickest way to a man's heart was uh, with food, <laughs> and so she invited Haman and the king to a feast the next day. This king loved to party. He loved to eat. And so her plan was to expose Haman's evil intentions after the sumptuous meal. Meanwhile, it tells us in chapter 5 that Haman was building gallows 50 feet high, and his plan was to hang Mordecai the Jew the next day. And that night, the hand of divine providence went to work again because that night the king was sleepless in Susa. Not sleepless in Seattle, no. He was sleepless in Susa. The king couldn't sleep. He had insomnia. And, and to uh, address it, he asked for someone to read to him from the book of memorable deeds which contained the record of when Mordecai the Jew um, uh, brought to light an assassination plot against the king. And the king remembered he had never rewarded Mordecai for his loyalty. And so the next day, he calls Haman in for, for a little bit of advice. And in chapter 6 and verse 6, it says that Ahasuerus uh, said to Haman, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? <laughs> and here's, here's Haman thinking, he's talking about me, full of pride. Again, the foreshadowing of the Antichrist, who is just so full of himself and so prideful. Haman thought the king was going to honor him. And so Haman says, well, here's what I think you should do. Uh, I think you should give the honoree uh, some royal clothing and place him on a royal horse and, uh, and, and give a royal parade in his honor. And the king said, that's a great idea. Go get Mordecai. <laughs> and when that happened, the blood rushed out of Haman's face. He could not believe it. But all of this set the stage for Queen Esther in ways that she could never orchestrate herself because the next day she was coming in with her feast. And in a providential twist of fate, the king instructed Haman, the Jew hater, to make all the preparations for honoring Mordecai the Jew. What do we do with a story like Esther's? How does it apply to our lives in the here and now? Find out next in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' Something Good radio message, Esther, for such a time as this. Today's message is part of Ron's series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Listen on demand using the library tab at somethinggoodradio.org. Again, that's somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good Radio exists only through the prayer and financial support from friends like you. When you donate this month, Ron will say thank you by giving you his new ebook that goes along with his series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. The second of eight ebooks in the series is based on the historical books of the Old Testament, Joshua through Esther. Request your ebook today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. 
Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or you can mail your gift to us, P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. And you can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Esther's story teaches us about the Lord's providential timing and his providential placement. Again, all of it behind the scenes. Far less obvious than a miracle. And without violating human will. That, that's, a, that's an amazing thing that, that the sovereign God, creator God, can manipulate things and move things and without violating human will, but still remain sovereign. Put the people in place at the right time and at the right place for such a time as this. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Esther, for such a time as this. Join us then for Something Good for Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.